0: The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. Today, after the headlines, I interview Congresswoman Jackie Speer to talk about the election, Congress, COVID-19, and the disastrous war in Artsakh, also known as the karabakh Let's cover some headlines from this morning and over the weekend. President Donald Trump acknowledged for the first time on Sunday that Joe Biden won the presidential election, but the president refused to concede and blamed his loss on a string of conspiracy theories. Most news networks declared Biden the victor more than a week ago. Since the call was made, Biden has given a victory speech and gotten his transition team up and running. But Trump, who had questioned the validity of the election before votes had even been cast, is continuing to dig his heels on unsupported legal challenges lodged by his allies over vote counts in several states and asserting that the fight has only begun. Trump also continued to blame his loss on debunked theories about the 2020 election in a series of posts flagged by Twitter for their disputed information.
1: According to some estimates, a national lockdown costs $50 billion a day and hundreds of thousands of jobs every single day. Ideally, we won't go to a lockdown. I will not go. This administration will not be going to a lockdown. Hopefully, the, the uh, whatever happens in the future, who knows which administration it will be. I guess time will tell. But uh, I can tell you, this administration will not go to a lockdown. There won't be necessity. Lockdowns cost lives, and they cost a lot of problems. The cure cannot be. You got to remember, it cannot be worse than the problem itself, and I've said it many times.
0: In a race to control the Senate, Georgia's runoffs will determine whether Democrats or Republicans will have the majority to be decided on January 5th. If Warnock and Ossoff come out on top, Democrats have a 50 50 Senate with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking ties. Should they lose, Democrats are relegated once again to the minority with a Republican Senate standing in the way of President-elect Joe Biden's ambitious agenda. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has blocked hundreds of bills passed by the Democratic House in the last several years. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious expert, told CNN he thinks the nation could start getting back to a relative normality by April or July of 2021. More than 245,000 Americans have died from the coronavirus since earlier this year. That number is 18,254 in California. 1.31 million people have died from the virus worldwide. The five-week genocidal war and ethnic cleansing unleashed on Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, and Armenia by Azerbaijan and Turkey ended with Azerbaijan occupying 75% of Artsakh and forcing out 100,000 Armenians as refugees in their own ancestral lands. Azerbaijan, with the help of Turkey, launched a military attack on September 27, and for six weeks they attacked Armenians along the entire border and on civilian populated lands. They used illegal cluster bombs and shelled churches, community centers, and schools. The violence and danger escalated as the days passed and the silence of the international community enabled it. The neutrality of the United States emboldened and enabled Azerbaijan to continue with their human rights violations because no one would stop them. On November 9th, Armenians all over the world learned the devastating news that Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan signed a disastrous deal with the presidents of Azerbaijan and Russia. The deal conceded almost all of the land recognized as the Democratic Republic of Artsakh, with citizens having as little as a few weeks to abandon the only place they knew as home. Artsakh has a right to independence with their citizens living peacefully on their ancestral homes. Any mediation or negotiation of any agreement should have been conducted by the rules of OSCE Minsk Group. I wrote an open letter to Senator Dianne Feinstein condemning her deafening silence throughout the ordeal. You can read my article uh, in the Blunt Post. You can visit thebluntpost.com, so that's T-H-E-B-L-U-N-T-P-O-S-T.com. You can also read all the articles and editorials that I write uh, by following me on Twitter. My handle is at Vic that's at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Let's get
2: blunt. Let's get blunt.
0: For my Let's Get Blunt segment today, I want to talk about something that I've been writing about, giving interviews about, and tweeting about for weeks. And sadly, it ended in a very tragic way, and that is the failure of the international community and organizations that are set up uh, throughout the world to intervene and stop wars and crimes against humanity and uh, humanitarian disasters failed to do so again with the recent genocidal war and ethnic cleansing that was unleashed on Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, and the Armenian population there. Uh, Turkey and Azerbaijan were able to go on a very aggressive offensive and grab 75 percent of the Republic of Artsakh lands and make over a hundred thousand people refugees in their own ancestral lands. Organizations such as the European Union, Council of Europe, United Nations, UNICEF, Amnesty International, and others are supposed to intervene. They're supposed to do something substantial. And in this case, their silence was deafening. And of course, because of not only our lack of leadership here in the States, but Donald Trump's Conflicts of interest with Turkey as he has two towers there and building one in Azerbaijan. There was no intervention of any kind by Donald Trump, the State Department's Secretary Pompeo. And what this did was it emboldened Azerbaijan and Turkey and they were able to do what they did. Now, I used to think, how could all these genocides have happened just Looking at the 20th century, starting with the Armenian genocide of 1915, then on to the Holocaust, where over six million people were killed by Nazi Germany and the Chilean genocide, Cambodian, Rwandan and, uh, you know, many others. How could they happen? How did other countries and nations did not? How is it that they did not intervene? But then I look at what just happened in 2020 when we have uh, Facebook Live and we have Twitter and we have all forms of communication where we see what happens we see the cluster bombs we see the white phosphorus munitions and yet no one stepped up and uh, it's it's very sad it's uh, it's a very lonely feeling to think that if you are a small uh, nation with an uh, in, insignificant number of people uh, and you don't have um, things like oil or Uh, any kind of a strategic location to offer, uh, then these organizations and other nations will turn a blind eye and uh, claim that they were neutral, which is a myth. And it always brings me to one of my favorite quotes of all time uh, from the great Elie Wiesel, who said, We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. Wherever men and women are prosecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must, at the moment, become the center of the universe. Uh, Very well said, and it's so relevant to what happened just now. And unfortunately, it will probably happen again somewhere else in the world and we will turn a blind eye. In fact, it is happening in other parts of the world. Yemen has been going through ethnic cleansing by Saudi Arabia and we have turned a blind eye because Saudi Arabia has a lot more to offer to us than a small country like Yemen and, uh, and other places. So there you have it. We must get blunt and be unfiltered. Let's get blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. Congresswoman Jackie Speer is a fearless fighter for women's equality, LGBTQ rights, and the disenfranchised who has dedicated her life to eliminating government corruption while working to strengthen America's national and economic security. She was named to Newsweek's list of 150 fearless women in the world and one of Politico's 50 most influential people in American politics for bringing the Me Too reckoning to Congress. She represents California's 14th Congressional District and serves on the House Armed Services Committee and as the chair of the Military Personnel Subcommittee, on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Congresswoman Speer is also the co-chair of the Democratic Women's Caucus, the Congressional Armenian Caucus, the Bipartisan Task Force to End Sexual Violence, and the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force. Hello, Congresswoman Speer.
3: Hi, how are you, Vic?
0: I am well. How are you?
3: I'm cold.
0: <laughs> uh, I bet. Again, thank you for um, being on the show and both for everything that you do. And I'd like to congratulate you on—not a surprise—your <laughs> great landslide reelection.
3: Thank uh, you.
0: We're all very pleased. We're all—I think we all feel very safe to have uh, a member of Congress like yourself on our team in California. So, uh, Congresswoman, as I said, congrats again for um, your reelection. That's obviously not a surprise to any one of us, and. I want to talk to you about Artsakh, you know, also known as Nagar karabakh for those who are not familiar. But uh, before we do that, I just want to sort of first get your impression on where we are as a nation past the uh, post-election in most ways. Will you think about the, the election and this sort of awkward stage that we're at?
3: Well, actually, Vic, we're not at an awkward stage. That's um, what is getting lost in all of this drama that the president continues to um, delight in, uh, there's nothing close about this election. President-elect Biden has 290 electoral votes at this point in time. He has uh, more than 5 million more votes than President Trump. So it's ridiculous for this to continue as if there is something in dispute here. Um, the the truth of the matter is that even if you didn't have this extraordinary um, difference, I mean, it's three percentage points. You can't overcome that. And the Republicans in the Senate know that. That's why they're encouraging the president now to make sure that President-elect Biden has the uh, intelligence briefings that he must have if he's going to be able to keep our country safe. You know, um, normally this is a science. So if you have a 0.05, 0.05 so that's five one hundredths of a point difference, um, you can conceivably have a recount. Sometimes it's it's one one hundredth. in the thirty one recounts that have taken place uh, over the last 20 years or so, only three have resulted in reversals. Um, So, and that's with a 0.05. We're right now at 3%. So this is, it's reckless at this point in time for the President and the Republicans to continue to suggest that this election is, is in dispute. It is not.
0: And they're sabotaging the transition, which is, which is
3: sad. Well, yeah, I mean, the and, and President Trump has a pattern of wanting to create chaos. He he delights in it, um, yeah. and this four-year nightmare is over. And he has been fired by the American people, and yeah. you know he's got to put his big boy pants on and you know take his lumps.
0: Right. Yes, indeed. Well said. So, uh, Congresswoman, we we have the majority in the House. We don't know if we're going to have supermajority. And the Senate is still undecided whether we're going to flip that. It's going to be all on Georgia on January 5th. How do you feel about that, those prospects?
3: Well, I think it's going to be hard. Um, I think you know, Democrats recognize that Georgia is really becoming a purple state, as uh, we've seen in the election. It appears that President-elect Biden actually won that. First time that's happened since uh, Bill Clinton won it, I believe, in 1992. So um, huge shift. Give Stacey Abrams uh, incredible credit mm-hmm. for what's happened there in terms of uh, getting out the vote and getting people to register to vote. Uh, You know, the poll tax was repelled decades ago, but we've just, um, we, I should say, um, some states have continued to create a new poll tax by making it so onerous to vote. And, uh, you know, when you make it onerous to vote, uh, poor people, um, blue collar working class people who can't get off work to vote, who can't use a vote by mail setting, are are hurt. And that is done intentionally, frankly, by the Republicans. So I remember when I was in the state legislature, when we were automatically going to register people when they got the driver's license, that was a huge battle. And I believe we ended up doing it by initiative, not by the legislature.
2: Right,
0: right. In terms of COVID-19 and another stimulus, do you think that that's even Reasonable to expect that uh, in the next couple of months during Trump's administration, we're going to see another stimulus, or are we just waiting for uh, President elect Biden to take charge?
3: Well, we desperately need the stimulus. Uh, you know, people are just hanging on by their fingernails right now. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that saner minds will prevail on this and that we can get Mitch McConnell to. Um, Join with Speaker Pelosi and put something on President Trump's desk, but he's acting like a petulant child, so he may not be willing to support anything uh, because he wants to take his marbles and and go home. Um, But uh, so we may have to wait until. January twentieth, and maybe we can pass something on January twenty-first and get it to the right. president's desk and get something in early January or mid-January. But it gives all of us in Congress um, and in in the president's see um, a black eye for not being able to meet the needs of the American people. So it's 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 embarrassing and and heartbreaking.
0: Well, the House has done its job. It's it's been it's been Speaker McConnell that has stopped and blocked everything. You know, we all know the, the hypocrisy of what's happened with from the Supreme Court uh, appointment and all of that, all leading back to uh, Mitch McConnell. This is the Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Durami, and you're listening to my interview with Congresswoman Jackie Speer. Congresswoman, before we get into Arts Off, and I don't want to uh, lose track of time with that, I want to ask you, uh, in the coming year, What are some of the top priorities for you, the work that you do, your initiatives for your district and just in general?
3: So both for my district and for the country, um, what we have experienced in this COVID um, pandemic is a recognition that for the economy to um, regain its uh, prominence again once we have a vaccine, Uh, we have got to recognize that universal childcare is imperative. And um, I think that the time has come for us to do what every industrialized country in the world has done, with the exception of the United States, um, to provide universal childcare and pre-K, which is only going to make it better for the economy over the long run, because not only is it beneficial in the near term, it's beneficial in the long term for these kids to get this early childhood education. So that's number one. Number two is infrastructure. I can't tell you the number of constituents um, that have complained to me about potholes on Highway 101. Um, that it, it, it's hard to dodge them now. And the fact that we have not had a, a serious infrastructure bill. During the four years of President Trump's administration, when he created, I don't know how many infrastructure weeks, um, suggests that time is of the essence and it will also create good paying jobs as a result. And we have neglected our infrastructure in this country for far too long. So, you know, that's number two. Uh, I then want to make sure that we do what's necessary in terms of. an issue that I've worked on for almost a decade now, and that's sexual assault in the military and sexual harassment. So I I wanna deal with that in part, but I also wanna make sure that our troops have all the resources they need. And um, I'm also very concerned about some of the living conditions for our service members. So it's another focus that I'll have. I mean, the issue of, believe it or not, For some of these, at some of these bases, families are living in mold, asbestos, and lead paint buildings that you wouldn't allow anyone to live in. And yet here are service members and their families are living in them. So um, that's another concern of mine that I want to address. Wow. But
0: that's, um, that's a topic that's not brought up much. So, and I know that a lot of people appreciate that because it's also a sensitive topic that it's hard for us as a nation to really talk about that sexual assault happens in the military as well. And uh, the Me Too movement didn't just sort of magically fix everything.
3: Well, you know, the truth is that we have some 20,000 sexual assaults in the military a year, um, 60% of them to women, but also to men as well. And that of those cases, um, a very small percentage of them actually are investigated and very few are sent to court martials, and fewer than that are convicted. So um, it's a problem that has not gone away, and in many respects has been exacerbated. And then you have the case of Vanessa Guillen, who was murdered and dismembered, and she was afraid to report sexual harassment because of retaliation. So her case has certainly uh, lit up this issue in a way that I've been trying to draw a spotlight on for some time.
0: Fantastic, um, thank you Congresswoman. So now I wanna talk about Artsakh and this sort of what to me s- seems like a five, six weeks of a quick nightmare that was unleashed on the people of Artsakh in Armenia, this very well orchestrated and timed. I don't even want to call it a war. It was a genocidal assault that Azerbaijan with the help of Turkey planned out. What now we know for about a year, uh, a quick land grab, if you will. Uh, And I'll stop there because I can just keep going.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so I was on the phone earlier this week with the uh, ambassador to the United States from Armenia. and. Um, You know, I said to him, I'm heartbroken by this agreement. And the um, ambassador said, we had no choice. Um, And in part, the United States is to blame because we are part of the Minsk group. We did not engage in a meaningful way. This was a proxy war by Turkey in which it sent its F-16s that we had sold to them, uh, which they're not supposed to be used in a a aggressive um, sense. And put them on the, the ground in Azerbaijan, hired mercenaries from Syria and other places. They went in as uh, part of the Azeri troops, and um, they were successful. And then they had drones, which were um, very impactful. And and truly, Armenia was, um, a, you know, a, a, sitting there um, with not the resources it needed so the u.s. failed in its uh, responsibilities and I'm convinced that part of that has to do with President Trump's financial oh. interest he has a Trump hotel in Istanbul he was building a Trump facility in Baku yeah. and um, you know just like uh, Erdogan did, earlier last year where he says, is it okay we invade Syria and go after the Kurds? The Kurds, of course, had supported the United States in our efforts against ISIS and was very effective. And President Trump says yes, because he is always putting his interests first. So, I mean, I don't want to beat this dead horse, but the president has basically relinquished his authority to Erdogan in any number of cases and has made our country less safe.
0: This is the Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Dramme, and you're listening to my interview with Congresswoman Jackie Speier. Absolutely, and it is warranted. I mean, to think that when the House was passing the Armenian Genocide Resolution Act last year, Uh, which passed almost unanimously and Senate passed it unanimously, President Trump hosted Erdogan at the White House. How good is that?
3: The the, the reason why this is so important is that for the first time in a very long time, uh, the Armenian people spoke and they created democracy in Armenia, and we should be embracing them and promoting them. Azerbaijan and Turkey have become more autocratic. And yet, in terms of dollars spent, uh, we gave Azerbaijan $100 million last year, and uh, much less. I think it was maybe $60 million in aid to uh, Armenia. So for all the talk about wanting to create democratic governments around the world, we certainly weren't promoting Armenia during a time when it really needed our support.
0: Yeah, well, a a democratic Armenia with a leader who is independent and serves the people is not to benefit to Russia, to the States and to several other countries.
3: Well, and that's why I think Russia stepped in because there was a vacuum. The United States was not engaged. Uh, This was another opportunity for Russia to Um, you know, poke Armenia in the eye because of its democratic principles. Um, It is now putting 1600 military officers uh, in that Lakhine strip there where um, between Azerbaijan and um, Nagorno-Karabakh and Armenia. And they are, for all intents and purposes, going to create a satellite of Russia again to uh, yeah. much like they're trying to do in Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, I, I think President-elect Biden has already spoken about the importance of protecting the democracy in Armenia. And I hope that we are able to do more next year.
0: Yeah, uh, I hope so. And I read your uh, the letter that you and Congressman Schiff and Congressman uh, Frank Pallone uh, sent to President-elect Biden about what needs to be done and the realities of this. My question to you uh, is this, in terms of sort of looking at this agreement that was sort of forced onto Prime Minister Pashinyan, uh, with point of a gun virtually, that basically gave away 75% of Artsakh, including, I was reading a list of over a hundred ancient monasteries and churches and, such that are in these lands, at, Azerbaijan has already demonstrated that they destroy anything that has any um, value or sign of Armenianness, if you will. They did it in Nakhchivan, and I love that there was a there was a paragraph in there that the, the two of the other members of the OSCE Minsk Group were missing from this, you know, being the U.S. and France, and thank goodness for um, President uh, Macron of France for. Really, being a, a leader in in Europe, because I think in a lot of ways, European Union uh, let Armenia down as well. My question is this: Do you think that there's any chance when we come back to the table that that seventy five percent land grab can be reexamined?
3: Well, you know, I can't speak to that, but I do believe that we need to punish Azerbaijan and Turkey for their acts of aggression, um, that we should cut off all military aid to Azerbaijan and uh, rethink our relationship with Turkey in general. And we need to um, you know, protect what is left of uh, Nagorno-Karabakh. And I really worry about those monasteries, which were the earliest signs of the cradle of Christianity, and um, somehow having them lost in this process. Um, the Minsk group needs to be re-energized and there needs to be a more concerted effort to bring some kind of final solution to the, um, the borders here.
0: Yeah, because what is, what is being claimed by Azerbaijan is just laughable, that Armenians can uh, safely, the refugees can go back to those lands and live peacefully being governed by Azerbaijan. <laughs> that, yeah. They've already shown they do ethnic cleansing. They've already shown what they do. They've already, their are videos of just in the last week of, of ancient monuments that they have defaced and broken. How is any Armenian supposed to feel comfortable to move back home and uh, live under Azari rule again?
3: Yeah, I mean, it is, for all intents and purposes, um, Azerbaijan got precisely what they wanted, um, control again of that region. And there's 90,000 Armenians um, that fled. There's still a, a few thousand in Stepanakert, the, the, the capital. But I don't know if they're, they're willing to stay there, if um, they're not going to be able to continue as a, an independent country and um, be eligible for self-determination, which does not appear to be what this agreement uh, provides. This agreement also has lots of, of uh, holes in it. So I think that's another reason why the Minsk Group needs to uh, move forward and re-engage.
0: So what do we do as just constituents, as public? Because I know that I've tried to get their attention as a journalist and nothing. There didn't seem to be any movement from uh, OSCE, Council of Europe, UN, UN Human Rights, uh, European Union, European Parliament. It just seemed like for five weeks, not a word came out of them. It was just US members of Congress from here, the US.
3: The Azeris and the Turks took full advantage of the vacuum that exists in uh, the United States right now under President Trump. And they re- realized that if they didn't act now, it would become a very different result in a matter of 70 days.
0: Thank you, Congresswoman. It was such a pleasure. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Vic. Thanks okay. so much. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. That Bye. was
0: Congresswoman Jackie Speier, who was just reelected in a landslide. Thank you, Congresswoman Speier, for being on the Blunt Post with Vic today. I'm Really appreciate your time, especially in these turbulent times. The Blunt Post with Vic. I was interviewed on the Carlos and Lisa show by Carlos Amesqua about the war in Artsakh a few days ago. Now, let me say this it's perfectly natural for most people not to know much, if anything, about Artsakh, Nagorno Karabakh, or even heard of those names, because mainstream media rarely covers it. And even in the last six, seven weeks of this genocidal war that happened, mainstream media barely covered it. So I wanna bring you some highlights of the interview that might help to explain the realities of
1: what has happened so far. There is a war going on halfway around the world in a place called Armenia. It's over a disputed territory known as Artsakh. And what do we know about this? And what is America's role in trying to keep this from going into another genocide, which is one of the greatest fears of the Armenian Americans here in the Los Angeles area. Of course, this is the area where the largest population outside of Armenia lives. And Vic Jarami, who's the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post, also heard on KPFK, is with me to talk a little bit about what's going on in Artsakh. Good morning, Vic. Nice to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So Vic, tell me where we stand right now. I know there's been a lot of, a lot of action. There's been, there's been several ceasefires uh, brokered by people, but what's the status right now? Unfortunately, I have no good news. Um, the status is that
0: Artsakh, also known as Nagam karabakh that's the old Soviet name, right. is basically being destroyed. There is a genocidal war and ethnic cleansing happening. Uh, Azerbaijan for a year, planned this attack with the help of Turkey and has brought uh, ISIS mercenaries, as well as Syrian, Libyan, and Pakistani mercenaries, jihadists, to fight for them. Um, They are, a few of them who have been captured and interviewed have said that they were um, given $2,000 a month and $100 for every Armenian beheaded. So it's a very dire barbaric situation there um, right now, uh, Armenians of Artsakh are fighting for their life on their
1: own ancestral homeland of millennia. What are we doing as Americans? What What is our government doing to assist in this? Because the the last thing any any part of the world needs is, is genocide.
0: Well, if we if we had a leader who was actually a leader, um, something would have been done. I think. But we now know that uh, as far back as 2015, Donald Trump admitted that he had um, conflicts of interest with uh, Turkey. He has two towers in Turkey. Mm -hmm. His pals were Erdogan, president of Turkey. Uh, There's interest in Azerbaijan because it's an oil rich country. And um, Trump and the State Department, Secretary Pompeo have done zero. They've released one of their rhetoric uh, statements that just says, we you know, we condemn this and both sides need to put their guns down, which is absurd. <laughs> we have some incredible members of Congress who have been very loud and very um, aggressive in trying to um, stop the, the ethnic cleansing and the war, and those include Congressman Adam Schiff and Congressman um, Frank Ballone, Congresswoman uh, Jackie Speier, Grace Napolitano. Uh, Brad Sherman and many, many others Mm -hmm. who have called for uh, sanctions against Azerbaijan and Turkey. Uh, Some have uh, called to recognize Artsakh as its own independent republic, as it should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Congressman Sheik was one of them. Uh, Anything to stop it. And uh, so far, nothing has helped. Europe, which we thought would be quicker to do something is really not that, um, there's no sense of urgency, except with France. President Macron has been uh, incredible uh, in his support. You know, as people are dying, uh, you know, Armenia is being, the uh, no, Armenia Arts Office is being shelled um, constantly by uh, cluster bombs, which are banned. And the, for the last week, they've used phosphorus, which is this white chemical powder that they've Blow up in the sky and it comes down and burns literally entire forests and villages and kills everything
1: uh, in its path. Your connection to that region um, and for your, your, all of the, the people who live in this area that we know uh, must be heartsick when they see what's going on in their homeland. Tell me about that emotional component.
0: And it's just difficult. This morning I was watching a video of this poor Armenian woman being interviewed who had to um, witness a beheading. Um, I just can't fathom what that would feel like. Um, There are cathedrals and churches in in Artsakh that are over a thousand years old and uh, Azerbaijan is uh, targeting them and uh, bombing them. One of them was bombed like three times. It's uh, basically because they haven't yet been able to um, sort of penetrate through the entire country they just want to destroy everything in its path.
1: Yeah, this is a ter- terrible situation. I know that there's been some humanitarian aid sent uh, from here uh, through ANCA. Is that, uh, tell me a little bit about those efforts to to help people there. Sure. So um,
0: many organizations have come together. ANCA, which is the Armenian National Committee of America, is a leading advocacy organization that's been very at the forefront of this. Mm-hmm. Most of the humanitarian aid f- goes through a uh, different organization, which is Armenia Fund, which, by the way, has been helping Artsakh for several decades. Uh, Armenia Fund has um, arranged a lot of humanitarian aid. Uh, Turkey blocked a a charter plane from flying through its sky to bring humanitarian aid to uh, Artsakh initially. Um, So a lot of work has been done. In fact, uh, I work with the Sargisian brothers, who are the two uh, co-founders of USA TV, um, a Glendale-based uh, production and TV network. And I'm familiar and, with them, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So they they basically wanted to get U.S. media and international media to cover this more. So they approached uh, my colleague, Nicole Muge, uh, as I think you know her, mm-hmm. Nicole um do something and nicole approached me having seen my you know what i'm doing and i'm armenian american so nicole and i uh got involved um and we produced the the first of a series of celebrity psa's that say i stand with arts of armenia uh the first one came out a couple of weeks ago with um Kim Kardashian and uh, Serge Pankyong from System of a Down, yeah. Yeah. Ed Bailey Jr. Um, and a few others. And the second one we we're working on has Congressman Martin. Schiff and uh, Sally Kirkland and a couple of other celebrities. Now, the following people are not in our uh, PSAs, at least not yet, but Sean Penn has come out publicly and supported, Mal um, Gibson and uh, uh, many, many artists and um Uh, actors and musicians and uh, uh, athletes I think uh, every little bit helps because we're
1: dealing with a country that people haven't even heard about so there's a lot of education to be done well, we certainly hope that uh, this this message gets out. Uh, Beyond TV, of course, is, is uh, helping support that effort to get the, the, the word out through our, our distribution as well. And I, I wish you and your fellow countrymen and all those folks who are suffering in Armenia uh, Godspeed because this is a difficult, difficult time for them. And it's being done at a time where so much attention is pulled away from them that they're yeah. not able to be heard. And we hope that those voices are heard. Uh, Vic Jarami, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I was also honored to be interviewed by a colleague Pamela Anchang, who's a fellow programmer at KPFK, uh, her show is Impact. And she's also the editor of uh, the Immigrant Magazine. And she interviewed me for the Immigrant Magazine's YouTube show about Artsakh. So I'm going to play some excerpts from that interview um, with Pamela.
2: Welcome to the show, Vic. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You're on KPFK 90.7 FM, and so am I. Um, yes, We've done an interview before with you, and I'm really happy that you are able to join me today.
0: It's my pleasure. We're, we're in the same KPSK family.
2: Absolutely. However, my interview today with you is on a somber story that I am not really happy, but I'm glad that we have the opportunity to bring it to the world's attention. You know, anyhow, anything we can do to create awareness about this crisis, right?
0: Yeah, it's much appreciated that, that uh-huh. you're doing this because it's not being covered enough in the press and we, we need to focus um, a little bit on it because people are dying as we speak.
2: Okay, but let me tell you this. First of all, most people don't know about that, don't know that this is ongoing. Some For- of us had heard about the crisis with in Armenia, um, the genocide. And we 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 already put it behind our heads because there's so much going on in the world, and so I'm really happy that you are drawing our attention to it. So first of all, tell us a little bit about the people of the Armenian and the Artsakhs. And it's True. so funny when I was doing my research, I came across different names. Yeah. I was like, Nagano. I was like, who is who? So it's a lot to dissect and to get to understand. It's a so lot. Let's take one on one. Who are these people? Tell yeah, us. I'll
0: give you the simple version. So first of all, it's um, totally appropriate for most people to have never heard of Artsakh or nagorno karabakh mm-hmm. So uh, it's you know, it's, it's understandable. Uh, Armenia itself is such a small country. It's a tiny country of barely three million, mm-hmm. uh, part of the old Soviet Union. It's a former republic of the Soviet Union. Okay. So basically uh, Artsakh, which is also called nagorno karabakh it's the Soviet Name that was given to it, but its authentic real name is Artsakh. Okay, has been a part of uh, Armenia for millennia. In 1921, after the Bolshevik Revolution, Stalin, arbitrarily when he was divvying up lands, he put Artsakh, the eastern part of Armenia, under the control of the Azerbaijani Soviet Union, right? And this was a. It was also partly to appease Turkey. Now at the time, it wasn't that big of a deal because all the 13 republics were under the Soviet umbrella anyway, including Armenia. But through decades uh, in the 20th century, Armenians of Artsakh constantly uh, appealed to Kremlin to reconnect with Armenia, but nothing ever came of it. And toward the end of 80s, they finally said, Uh, We're going to declare our independence. We have the right to our own autonomy, our own uh, independence, as do all other, you know, people in the world. And this was not taken well by Azerbaijan, of course, and they declared a war on Artsakh, which lasted from 88 to 94, when there was finally a ceasefire uh, brokered by Russia. And so... The inhabitants of Artsakh are Armenian. If anyone goes to Artsakh, all you see are monasteries and churches and other uh, monuments that are uh, hundreds and some thousands years old. So there's no question as to who lives there, who's lived there, and it's history. So the ceasefire sort of was very volatile from 94 till until this year. And this year there was, uh, there was a six day war that happened and everyone thought this could be the end of it, uh, except for what we didn't know and we know now that for one year, the government of Azerbaijan and its dictator Aliyev were planning to attack Artsakh uh, with the help of Turkey and its dictator Erdogan, who's created so many problems in the region with Cyprus and Greece and other countries. So on September 27th, they attacked Artsakh. Uh, not only Azerbaijani army and Turkish army, but also they brought uh, jihadist mercenaries uh, that are ISIS. Uh, some are Syrian mercenaries, Libyan, and even Pakistani. And some of them who've been captured since have been interviewed and have said that they're, they were promised $2,000 a month, plus hundred dollars for each Armenian beheaded. Mm. And there are videos um, that were posted on Azerbaijani Facebook pages, um, that were taken by Azerbaijani soldiers. Uh, they're beheading captured soldiers, and you can imagine
1: wow. how
0: wrong that is, and how it's a, it's against every international and United Nations laws. So, you know, you have Armenia helping Artsakh to just hold them back, but you're dealing with. Turkey with a population of 80 million, Azerbaijan 10 million, plus mercenaries coming in from different parts of the Middle East. Um, Turkey is a very powerful country. Uh, Azerbaijan is very oil rich. And they are both very much entangled with uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump has a lot of interest in both countries, has power, while building one in Azerbaijan has two in Turkey. Um, We now know of a lot of um, sort of shady deals that have happened. One of the reasons why Donald Trump has not intervened or done anything about it. So they are, people of Artsakh, Armenians of Artsakh, about 60% have fled the country. Uh, The rest are in shelters. They are being shelled uh, mercilessly um, all day and all night uh, by cluster bombs, which are illegal, they're banned. And last couple of days, they are being, um, phosphorus um, chemicals are being sort of blown up the air like uh, fireworks, and they come down on villages and just burn up.
2: It's a a dire situation. So what do you think can be done if the institutions aren't doing anything? Organizations that are supposed to be doing something, the United Nations, European Union, if they're not doing anything, what can the world do?
0: To, well, you know, I to think, intervene. I think um, we've basically concluded that Azerbaijan and Turkey—they uh, do not want a diplomatic solution to this. They do not want uh, anything um, negotiated. And the only thing that should be done, which should have been done a long time ago, is for Artsakh to be recognized as an independent state. Okay. Now, Congressman Adam Schiff. Um, Congresswoman Jackie Speier, uh, Grace Napolitano, uh, many members of Congress uh, have called for the official recognition of the Independent Republic of Artsakh. That's what should happen. When Artsakh is finally recognized, kind of like Kosovo, as its own independent republic, then it will be a game changer.
2: I have to interrupt you there because... um, I think Erdogan, no not Erdogan, Azerbaijan has vowed that that is not gonna happen. They're gonna fight till the end to make sure that that doesn't happen. Oh no, I I I think I read an article in, uh, I think Al Jazeera stating that.
0: Now let me me tell you how determined they are on your point. In the last year when they were pre-planning this, Azerbaijan hired six lobbying and public relations firms to make sure that the members of Congress are lobbied, so they don't do anything about it. And for these six firms to do media placements of lies and propaganda to confuse the public about it. So of course, Turkey and Azerbaijan are not gonna accept it or like it, but what choice would they have if, if nations recognize it? Now cities around the world have one by one started to right? Like Milan, Italy is an example about a week ago. Um, Cities around Southern California are recognizing it. You know, cities and states and uh, organizations are saying, okay, we're not going to wait for our president or prime minister or whatnot to do it. We're going to do it here, at least locally. And I think, uh, and I hope that that would be a domino effect leading up to a full recognition of Artsakh.
2: So you do have a whole big slew of celebrities that have endorsed a their voice to this. How, we, how did that come about and what impact do you think that would have in uh, stifling this situation?
0: Well, how that came about is their two brothers, Sarkisian, uh, who are the co-founders of USA TV and uh, Armenia TV, uh, based in Glendale, um, right here in Southern California. They wanted to They wanted to do something to educate uh, American and the world you know international audiences about what's happening so they approached uh, our mutual friend Nicole and said you know what can you do to get the press to cover this and Nicole having known and seen me talk about this and me being Armenian-American approached me and you know we discussed different options and such and we came up with Uh, celebrity PSA campaign because we thought people always will listen to a celebrity for a few minutes just to see what they have to say. So the campaign is called I Stand With Artsakh in Armenia. And by the way, these two brothers managed to, with their own money, get 20 tons of humanitarian aid on a chartered plane from here to Armenia. Um, They are doing every you know, tremendous work to help to help, you know, to help the humanitarian crisis. So going back to the uh, campaign, so I, I stand with Artsakh in Armenia. We started approaching celebrities and sort of saying, you know this is what's happening, we would like your help. And uh, we, we launched the first of a series of campaigns. The first one launched with um, Kim Kardashian and Serge Tankian from System of a Down Uh, Ed Begley Jr. uh, and um, Lawrence Zarian and a few others. Mm -hmm. So that's already been launched and we are now working on the second one. Uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, who I've interviewed a few times, uh, did a video for us and uh, Oscar nominated actress, Sally Kirkland. And we're working with a few other celebrities for the second of the series to launch to basically bring recognition to what's happening. Um, and get people to sort of put it on their
2: radar. I know um, education is the first step because you've just enlightened me on so much because I was reading and watching videos and still it was very blurry to understand and, and not wow. just not be able to comprehend how the world can just sit back and watch people be slaughtered. So Absolutely. it gives me immense um, honor to bring this crisis to the forefront. Using our own platform, it's all about immigrant experience. And with you and other diasporans like myself from different parts of the world, we will not sit back and watch a genocide be repeated over again. So, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. And uh, we will make sure that it, you know, the word gets gets out ultimately. Thank you, Pamela. You're welcome. Really,
0: really appreciate it.
2: You're welcome.
0: Opportunity. Have a blessed
2: day, and let's see what happens. And don't hesitate to draw my attention. You know, as things progress, media is power. Let's not be weary of other media platforms that may not be doing what they should do. You know, every drop of water makes an ocean, right? So stay strong and uh, we're together and uh, stay blessed. Thanks, Pamela. My pleasure.
0: I have two quotes for you today. But before I read them, I want to say that I thoroughly enjoy when a very respected, high-profile public figure, whether that be a celebrity, a politician, or a journalist, get to a point in their career when they are completely unfiltered and they speak freely and bluntly. Um, so I want to read you two quotes, uh, one from John Cusack uh, and the second one from Dan Rather about this recent election. John Cusack wrote, I do give it. That's why I don't take any smiley face. That was actor John Cusack. The next one is from Dan Rather, uh, one of my um, most admired journalists. He wrote, frankly, my trolls, I don't give a damn. That was Dan Rather. So just a reminder, you can follow me for a lot of retweets of great little tweets like this that I um, read all day. My Twitter handle is at Vic Gerami. That's at V-I-C-G-E-R-E. AMI. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And, uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at VicJerami. The Blunt Post with Vic.